at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Uh, happy New Year, and happy Syracuse won a basketball game against a power opponent. Not just Day, won, like, like really won. One pretty, I mean, I actually like got a little nervous at the end just because like I've watched this team and they started doing some stupid stuff, but like they were up almost 20, so it was like two, a minute and a half. So like the fact that, that I was even like half worried, which is dumb, but like, yeah, they weren't just a good team. Like Miami's 11 and three. They're what, 28th? If there was 28 spots in the poll, they're like the third receiving votes. Like they're a pretty decent team and Syracuse won convincingly. So what? What what is this team? <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the problem for for fans, for media, anybody. If you're following this team, you literally have no goddamn clue uh, what you're watching anymore. Because at least to this point, through 14 games, we had we had okay, this is Syracuse against bad teams. Well, bad non-power teams, and this is Syracuse against power conference teams and there was a very clear difference in guard play in defense now we have this outlier now we have to see like you know how how long can this level of play stick around obviously there were a couple differences tonight you saw Leiden at center which seemed to help on both ends of the floor uh Andrew White had his probably best game at SU he had a double double um and the fact that really you know outside the one guy uh, whose name I can't pronounce, um, shooting three is for, for Miami. I feel like their offense was pretty much kept in check. Um, these are all things that we didn't really see a ton of in any other game against a power conference team until this point, at least. Yeah, I mean, there were there were a couple moments where Miami got hot. They they actually shot, like, fairly well from three. Um, 11 for 26 is, is pretty solid. They were actually, I think, a lot better than that. Um, I think they were 9 for 20 at one point, so they... they you know, kind of came back to the back to the pack a little bit uh, down the stretch in the second half when Syracuse put it away um, after they Miami had tightened it up. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a classic like uh, you know you had the one guy go crazy. He was six for twelve. All of his shots were from beyond the arc. And I actually just looked up. Um, he actually has had like a seventeen point game before this year in South Carolina State, and he had a couple other double digit efforts. But he is a guy averaging six and a half points a game. So we probably should have known that he was going to have a nice game going in. Um, oh yeah, he's he, just, he is he's very. I tweeted this during the game too. He's very much your typical, you know, ran, r- randomly gets hot from three and hits between six and eight from outside um, against Syracuse. I know uh, the Miami blog at SB Nation State of the U actually warned us about him, um, but I had uh, I had my eyes on uh, Davon Reed, given the fact that you know he plays more, he has hit more threes, um, he is a scorer in general for this team. He's second leading scorer on the team. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't, foolishly did not expect him, well, did not expect uh, this individual who, again, can't pronounce his name. That's my own fault. Dan, you want to give it a try? Vasiljevic. Uh, Vasil, yeah, I think it's Vasil, yeah. Vasiljevic. I think that's pretty good. I'll, I'll take it. We'll just, we'll just call uh-huh. him, 
we'll just call him DV for the rest of the for the rest of the podcast. That's so mean. <laughs> but I can't do it, and instead of insulting him the entire time, we're gonna call him DV. I guess it's better than the. Uh, never mind. Um. <laughs> oh Christ! We're doing first name first. This is you know. Oh God. Um. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the team didn't do much aside from him. I mean, no one else was in double digits. Uh, the rest of their roster, I think, was 5 for 14 from 3, which, you know, isn't awful, but not, you know, what you need to do to beat the zone unless you're carving it up. And they really didn't run, like, a, a really great zone offense outside of that, which we've seen Miami actually do pretty effectively in years past, even when they were outmanned in terms of talent. Miami's actually played Syracuse really close um, and have played, like, their, their effective uh, own brand of zone. And this was actually, um, it, it was almost comforting because we know that it's a team that, uh, in the past has, has faced the zone and played effectively against it, and tonight it really didn't. So um, I don't know if we're like ready to, to declare the zone back on and, and working uh, effectively, but it was uh, I think it was a hit that we all really needed to see, even if, it, even if it's just like the first step up a, a very steep mountain that we are climbing now. Very much agreed. Yeah, I mean, said Leiden at center certainly helps. I was just looking around the box score to see like some of the hallmarks of a, of a good Syracuse game. Uh, free throws. Um, always good, uh, 12 to 14 there for Syracuse. Um, and I saw that Miami uh, had a very Syracuse-ish performance um, of their own at the free throw line, two for 10. Uh, they hit a lot of threes on the Miami side, but uh, we shot well enough. Uh, we shot well over 50% uh, from the floor, which is all positive. And we out-rebounded them by four. Uh, these are all, again, things that that Syracuse seems to do quite a bit when they win games. And it's just the first time this year, at least, that they've been able to put all that together um, against a power conference team and a, and a decent power conference team for all uh, for all intents and purposes, at least from what we've seen so far. Yeah, and I mean, we even got like a, it wasn't even like a perfect game or anything. It wasn't like Syracuse was firing in all cylinders. Um, basically, sit guys played, which remember a couple months ago, we were like, oh, there's 10 players and we don't know who's going to sit. Um, your answers are... That. <laughs> Your answers are Frank Howard and Daywan Coleman, and obviously Chukwu was hurt and wasn't playing much to, anyway. Um, but like Torian Thompson, who's been probably one of the best players in that bad stretch uh, going back, back two or three weeks, was effectively a no-show. He hit his only shot, but he only scored two points. Um, but it was, you know, the guys you, you would expect. Lydon had uh, one of his better games, uh, went for 20 and 7. White had uh, 22 and 10, actually. Uh, he's like one of those guys, he's like super quiet when he has his vintage throwing outputs, but he's had a couple nice games in a row, um, and then Dylan Battle, uh, you know, even when Dylan doesn't give you a great night, clearly Howard just, for whatever reason, Howard just some nights does not have it at all. Well, Howard's uh, not going to play a minute for the rest of the season. He, ha- it Howard, wouldn't shock me Howard, at this point. Howard is officially replaced. I mean, I thought the I thought Roberson had owned the dog. I thought we renamed the doghouse for Roberson. Based on how Howard's played of late, I feel like Howard might not play another minute. I'm not ready to totally... I mean, Howard's definitely in there. I think Roberson might be sitting on top of the doghouse like Snoopy, but <laughs> so I'm not totally ready to like remove him from the doghouse because he has such a long and, and glorious history with it, but Howard is, is definitely like entrenched in there, and it's just a matter of if he's like the only uh, inhabitant right now or not. Um, but it is nice to see Rob has actually made like a, a really nice bounce back after a little like he looked like a guy that Beheim never wanted to see again, like, what, three or four games ago? Yeah. And he's, you know, he's back out. He's not starting, but 
Um, and I don't think he will. I think we kind of know the starting lineup now. I think it's pretty clearly the five uh, with Thompson and Leiden. It's probably the five most talented players in the team, to be honest, um, yeah, and the five most effective scorers. Uh, and then Roberson, you know, maybe his maybe this is his best role. Is a is a come off the bench energy guy who will grab some rebounds and kind of change shake up the uh, the balance of the roster versus what we had earlier in the year with Coleman and Roberson, who were, you know, neither neither of whom is a a dynamic offensive threat and definitely not. Uh, you know, well, both have shown a little bit more range in, in the past, like. The five that we're throwing out there now can all really step out to 18 feet, if not further, and, and hit jump shots. And it's just a, a more of a, a dangerous lineup. Probably one that we thought would be more of like a unique, specialized lineup, but it's it's the one that's been working best by far in the last couple of games. No, I completely agree, and you bring up a good point there. Like this, this was kind of like a like novelty lineup, um, and and given the fact that we did have you know Chukwu and Roberson and Coleman, like. I didn't think, I know we talked about it a little bit in preseason, I didn't think we were going to see much of Leiden at center. You and I were even talking and said, um, you know, Leiden's probably going to get banged up a little bit in ACC play if we put him up against, um, you know, centers in, in, in conference. But at the same time, it's not like there's a, I mean, there are some good centers in the ACC, but it's not like those guys really have a ton of physicality above and beyond what Leiden can do. And, I mean, no, Leiden is never going to be this big, bulky guy, but... Um, he can create mismatches and has created mismatches um, that we saw on both ends um, tonight. I think, you know, as much as it seems counterintuitive to put your five best offensive players um, on the floor to improve defense, it seems like that worked, Dan. And, and I mean, uh, what, what else did you notice, at least, how, how that offense created defense or, or did it? Well, I, I think with Leiden, it's interesting because while he's not a natural center in terms of size, like you said, in college, like you can get away with a little bit more, and he has some some decent size. I mean, there are teams that play centers that are about that big; they're just not as skilled as him, and they're maybe a little bulkier. Um, but as a shot blocker, he's the best shot blocker on the team, um, and Thompson is probably up there too, which probably makes them a little uh, better off at playing that position than than your average four would be. Um, but I, I think I mean the fact that Coleman's not a shot blocker, Roberson really doesn't have that in his skill set. Um, and now on the other end, you, you can play a little more of a, an up-tempo style. Uh, and obviously, Leiden causes all kinds of mismatches in spreading the floor. Um, the fact that there's not really a better defensive option, it, it just makes it kind of a no-brainer at this point. And we, we both heading into the season, we're hoping that, you know, I think we banked more on Shukru being more than what he ended up being. And obviously, the eye injuries, and I keep him out probably. I don't expect to see him the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, I think we were hoping that Shukru would be that kind of defensive stopper at 7-3, and maybe one day he will be. Um, he's still a project. But for now, I mean, Leiden brings the shot blocking. Um, he's fairly decent at avoiding foul trouble. Um, probably better than he was last year. He's just a headier player, and, he, and he's a smart player, which is what we all do to love about him last year. So I, don't, I still don't think it's an ideal world thing, but right now Syracuse just needs to play the best lineup it can play. There's no benefit. We don't get a better draft pick if we tank the year. Like, it's right. the... College basketball and college sports in general are uh, very ruthlessly uh, capitalistic. There is no benefit to being bad um, and in recruiting or anything. So they just need to go and be as good as they can the rest of the year, uh, even if we it might be too late. And we are in the situation right now where it very well may be too late for this team to make the tournament. Um, but they have to try. There's no other option. So throwing the best five, six guys out there and, and cutting the rotation down, 
four people from where you thought it might be a couple months ago. It, it is what it is. And we've seen Beheim tinkering. He's tinkered more with this team than I've ever seen before. And we may be kind of getting somewhere with it. I, I still am not buying that this team is ready to go and like run the table and make it make the tournament or anything. But I think we have the we have the the closest we're gonna get. And you know, hopefully this game is is a side of things to come. And at least hopefully we make it interesting down the stretch. And we'll we'll you know maybe shock some teams and and see what happens going in the tournament. Maybe we could be like, oh, they're they're playing really good basketball. Maybe they could win the ACC tournament and sneak in. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I have to agree there. I mean, I'm not banking on them making the tournament. I'm not banking on them winning the ACC tournament. I'd love to see them win a game in the ACC tournament, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I hope we're not getting sucked into another classic like, you know, I mean, again, this is an unranked Miami team. So I think, you know, in some ways I saw a lot of people, and it goes to show how kind of, you know, how violently our, our fan base's, you know, expectations and opinions shift. Um, to see all the same people setting the, the goddamn program on fire like three hours ago, you know, ready to ready to throw another goddamn parade down Marshall Street. Like, it's it, it's just, it's odd. I don't get it. And I, I'm, I'm a part of a lot of fan bases. I know you are too. Um, I'm part of, at this point, like seven or eight different fan bases. That, <laughs> and I'd say that Syracuse is still a unique one, especially on the basketball front, just how quickly people can be hot and cold um i i think i think if this team can go 16 and 15 um you know keep the winning season streak alive and and look respectable doing it i i just don't know how anyone could be angry about that but i know a large portion of the fan base will find a way yeah i mean it's it's one of those rare things where like at, you know, people freaked out early, like after the South Carolina and the Yukon games, and then their freak out kind of became justified. But like, you can't then all, swing all the way back and say, "Oh, they're gonna like turn around and be something they're not." Like this team just is deeply flawed. Now, you know, they could do something crazy down the stretch, and maybe they they just pull off a bunch of wins, and the record isn't good. But people are like, "Yeah, but look what they've done since what's the date today? January fifth. Like that's possible, but. I think we really have to take it one game at a time, which is not a strength of sports fans in general, and especially this fan base. Definitely not Syracuse fans. See, um, see as football, we've grown to learn, basketball. Yes. I mean, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, weather was was a part of it too tonight, but yeah, tonight's attendance was under eighteen. I know we saw last year. You know, the second thing started to head a little south for uh, for Mike Hopkins. Attendance was tanking under eighteen, so. Um, I, I, I mean, this year I have a hard time blaming people. Like, there were, like, 20 there for that Saturday game, I think, against, like, Colgate or whatever, and it was after we had a bunch of bad losses. Like, I struggle to really blame people for not showing up based on how this this year started. Um, football annoys me more in that scenario, but either way, like, attendance, Syracuse basketball attendance, like, it'll be up and down based on the team, but at least you know, like, most most teams will, will never even sniff 17 and can't even manage that, so right. it's what it is. So yeah, um, Dan. I mean, wh- what do you expect next? Uh, I mean, can we sit here and say definitively that like, even if they don't win every game going forward, and they're not going to, that this team has figured something out? It would, is it really going to have to be wait and see? I mean, obviously we have Pitt next, but it's Pitt without Jamie Dixon. If we win that game too, 
are the wheels back on or are we are we going to have to wait until this is like four or five games into like much better and improved play on both ends uh i don't know i mean pit pit's not great but they have they can score the ball um they don't play any defense which it's weird it's like a backwards pit team um I think if they beat Pitt just based on the name and the fact that Pitt has some talent, like they have uh, artists and Young back, it's a nice combo. I think those guys store like over 40 points to mine a team. Um, I'll be willing to entertain the notion that Syracuse has like maybe figured some stuff out, especially if it's like tonight where, you know, obviously Miami game was fairly close until like halfway through the second half and then Syracuse put it back on. Um, if But I, I think it's way early to just deem like everything fits based on one nice performance because we knew like as bad as things have been like we knew there's talent on this team and odds are they weren't gonna like lose out um so there's a chance things just put tonight and they'll go back to, to shit next week or when's the pit game a couple of days from now so um seven. so saturday saturday i think yeah saturday at noon 9 a.m um, Screw that. oh boy <laughs> <laughs> hope you're ready to wake up for that one uh, um, me. i'm usually up at 6 a.m anyway <laughs> fair yeah, I mean, if they beat Pitt, I'll, I'll feel pretty decent about things. And if they beat Pitt, though, like, you're still not... Like, the damage has been done to the to the, to the the resume already. Like, you have to beat Pitt if you, like, want to start building things back. It doesn't mean, like, Syracuse is back or flip the switch. Maybe it's, like, an early indicator, but we're still, like, a long way from there. So it's a nice step, and obviously you want to beat Pitt, who's, like, uh, you know, kind of a monkey on the back for this team every year. Um even though it's now post Dixon and it looked, the team looks completely different in terms of like style. Even pre Dixon though. Yeah. I mean, Hallen, I mean, but it was still the same. Yeah, it was Hallen and Dixon were kind of like this this long stretch of just stupidity. That would. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like Dan, hear me out. Would would something stupid like this happen? Let's say we lose to Pitt, but we manage to beat. Uh, the, the four games after that, let's say we go three and four, three and one against Vatech, BC, UNC, and Notre Dame. Three of those are on the road. Yes. Oh, that's that's an awful stretch. I'm looking at that now. Yeah. Well, and then and then you look at you get a one game break against Wake, and then you got to face Florida State. I mean, there are no off nights in the ACC, obviously, but do we? I mean, I, I, we saw this stretch as difficult going in, but. If we went three and one in that stretch, and I'm not even entertaining it right now, do tournament hopes come back into the picture? Because the good wins start outweighing the bad losses. I think you can. I think we're we're back on like the radar. I think right now we're like off the radar completely. Right. Um, I think if you get like, I mean, I'm assuming in that scenario you're beating BC. Um, I don't know that we can pencil that in because you know. We just watched that game a couple days ago. Um, but yeah, so let's say like, let's say we lost at UNC, but we won at Vatek, which is a very nice win. I think Vatek's really good. And we won at Notre Dame, which is always tough. And then we beat BC at home. And like, let's say we beat BC pretty handily and it makes it seem like the game couple, uh, you know, the last game, the 96-81 game or whatever was kind of a fluke, which I don't think is fair right now. But, you know, let's say that. Um, then, yeah, I think, I mean, they still wouldn't be in the tournament, like if it was to end. But I think then you're like, all right, they... With seven, a couple of nice wins. A couple of nice wins and a decent conference record. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm not going to entertain tournament just yet because, again, the, the, all that requires a lot of things to happen. But, yeah, you, you look at the schedule, and we said this after every loss, 
the conference schedule allows you to redeem yourself. Now, granted, yes. yeah, the, the, the BC loss sucked, but at the same time, I look at BC coming to SU just you know less than two weeks removed from the last game, and you figure that, w- that was BC's best shot. They're, they're, BC could not have played better against us than they did in that game. I, I think that's a no. Fair, they they went nuts yeah, offensively. Like, I'm saying that's a fair assessment. So I guess, and you look at, I don't think Syracuse could have played much worse than they played in that for I'd say seventy five percent of that game, taking out the garbage time at the end when they were able to close the gap. So I mean, to me, I'm not going to say Syracuse can just suddenly can just suddenly flip a switch and, and crush them, but we got DC's best shot. I'm curious to see what happens if SU can give them better than a 25% performance like the one they gave the other day. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse is a lot more talented than BC. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not like, in any way thinking, like, I don't think at all that BC loves up to the talent. I think they are an improved team for where they have been. Um, and clearly, like, that game was just awful in every respect the other day. Um, but Syracuse should beat BC at the Dome. Um, so yeah, I think then in this situation, look at 13 and seven with two ranked wins in a short and short order and a revenge win against BC and what, uh, it would be, that would be what a four and two start in the ACC. Um, or yeah, it'd be four and two start in the ACC. Like then, yeah, then we're starting basically what Syracuse is banking on now is a, you have to get some nice wins in the ACC, which there are plenty to, to be had. And you need to make it look like the team has made strides. I know the committee doesn't officially have a have like a last ten games or last twelve games thing that they used to, but I think it's still fair to believe that they look at teams that are peaking more favorably than they are looking at teams that like finish sluggishly or you know just didn't look any different at the end of the year than they did at any other time. Um, at least you hope. I mean, maybe they maybe they don't. Like, there's a chance that they just totally dismiss that. But I would think naturally you want to have, like, some idea of which teams are playing the best at the end of the year, especially a team like this, which, you know, the argument is you're, you're now kind of going into, like, beyond the bot stores and whatnot. And you're saying this is a team that added, like, a bunch of key pieces um, from last year's team. It's uh, basically completely overhauled. They had to learn the system, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of, it's tough to make that argument when a lot of other teams don't get the same uh, benefit of the doubt, but it's also a named program. Um, so yeah, if you can if you can look good in ACC play, there's a fair chance that it will mitigate losing to St. John's, who actually, St. John's hasn't looked that awful since beating us, uh, yeah. which is nice, and um, Georgetown, which is middling. Right now. Yeah, they've actually played pretty well. UConn's still a problem. UConn's looked terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if St. John's wants to not be the worst loss in the world, that'd be good. If BC wants to like be competitive, that'd be good. Um, I don't really care if UConn gets its shit together or not, because it's still funny that they're bad, even if they beat us. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, then then you could start like clawing your way back to respectability. It's uh, it's just it's just a lot. It, it's I'm still skeptical just because I watched this team lose, not just to BC and St. John's, but lose by like 30 points to those two teams. So. It, there's some, I mean, uh, there's a lot of big games, as we said, in the next couple of weeks, and if you go 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, then, and you look convincing in winning a couple of those games, and it's not like, you know, you're hitting buzzer beaters to do it, and even so, that's a big upgrade from where we were, but um, then, yeah, then I'll start to get excited again, and I'll say, all right, we're back in this, and, and hopefully it's not just, you know, in enough time to be let down at the end of the season, um, 
but, uh, you know, after last year, we snuck in and we saw what happened. So I, th- I think uh, Syracuse fans don't have too much of room to uh, complain right now about uh, whatever happens. But we're so far out of, you know, getting screwed out of the tournament or sneaking into the tournament or whatever that, you know, we have to get bare first. So we'll see. I- I'm open to it. Uh, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's just um, we've taken one step towards it, not like jumped back in the midst yet. So hopefully we get back in the midst and then we can actually have, have these heated arguments and start gnashing teeth over whatever Dot Leap says and whatever. Like we're, we're, we're working our way back to that. Our normal, our normal, uh, status, uh, you know, state of, uh, annoyingness and, uh, whatever else Syracuse fans are to everyone else outside of the fan base. Which is fun. But yeah. I, I don't want anyone to, to, to sit here and think that, you know, you and me are suddenly talking ourselves right back into the tournament. Far, far from it. Um, th- this is a long, as we said, you know, game by game process. Um, we're just kind of hypothetically talking about what happens if a couple things start going the right way and what it would take to get back into the conversation. Um, I know I'm just panning around the, the scoreboard here for the night of college basketball. Um, for those who didn't look at the scores last night and for those listening, you'll be listening on Thursday. Um, Butler beat Nova. That was interesting. Um, Pitt and UVA are tied-ish right now. Notre Dame's smoking Louisville right now. Um, NC State is destroying Vatek. Baylor and ISU are tightly locked. Yeah, so this is... I, I feel like if you look at the tapestry of what's happened in college basketball this year, I just think there's way too much goofiness on a night-to-night basis, even more so than normal, to, to really start extrapolating this SU result out until we, we get a little bit further down the road. Yeah, I mean, especially in the ACC so far, but overall, like, college basketball, there's no do- truly dominant team. Like, Nova lost tonight. Nova's probably looked the closest, and they've lost tonight. Duke's kind of a mess, um, just on and off the court. Uh, and, you know... The whole race now, I don't think happened today. Hope Coach Tay is healthy. Uh, I hope Coach Tay also learns that, like, when there's national outrage about your player being a punk over and over and over again. Well, the word like, indefinitely. Strip... Yeah, indefinite. And by indefinite, we mean one game, and we strip him of a, mm-hmm. of a, you know, made-up title that we gave him because we like him. Like, oh, cool. Great. Thanks. Um, yeah. So, like, Duke's been, you know, all over the place. Kentucky just lost to this Louisville team, and now Louisville has... You know, they're getting bombarded by Notre Dame right now, and uh, they lost pretty badly. Who did they lose to the other day? Uh, that was kind of surprising. Was it Georgia Tech? No, they beat UNC. Um, Louisville had, like, a weird loss the other day. Yeah, I didn't see it. Let's... Yeah, I mean, basically, stuff is all over the place. The ACC is, like, especially, like, the the powers have all, pretty much all lost already in conference, uh, the normal powers. Um, so... College basketball, it's just like a crazy year. Uh, Kentucky's... Virginia. That's fine. Oh, yeah, they lost to Virginia. It, yeah, that was actually a fine loss. And they're the loss to Baylor, who was like number two in the country. They lost to Virginia, and it was like one of those games where it was it was 61-53, but it like, wasn't actually that close because they like could not score at all like when it mattered um, because Virginia's defense just confounds them all the time. Uh, and then they beat Indiana. But Indiana's also like, who knows? Indiana's one of the most talented teams in the country, and they have just... They have weird performance after weird performance. Um, so I think it'll have to make for a really fun tournament this year. Hopefully Syracuse is a part of it. But if not, like the tournament this year should be absolutely wacky. I would agree. Uh, I think it's a good place to, uh, to jump into halftime. 
So, uh, Dan, I know we took a week off last week. Uh, what were you drinking over the holiday break? Uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, just the highlights. Um, had the Merry Christmas and Happy New Year uh, from Anchor, which is delicious. Really good uh, holiday-inspired uh, one that you should be able to find fairly... I, I mean, I know you didn't definitely find it out there. Oh, yeah. um, but Anchor is you know, pretty easily to find. Also had Soul Style from uh, Doreen Flash, which is delicious. Uh, I had Empire. I've been, yeah, it's really good. It's so it's like it's super super citrusy, but like it works really well. Um, the uh, Sweet Fire from Empire, which uh, I wasn't like in love with, but it was really interesting. It has like sweetness, and then it's also like some like pepper notes, and it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, and it's you know it's cool to see Empire out in the wild, especially not they're like not just the uh, the Empire Pale Ale and the the normal stuff. Like they're starting to get some of their more interesting ones uh, out down this way. Um, had some Two Hearted, as I do. Had some Racer 5, which I hadn't had in a while, which is great. Yeah, uh, Racer. Uh, had some Session Black Lager from Full Sail, which I've, it's really grown on me, even though it's like way outside of like what I normally like. Uh, and then right now I'm drinking a uh, Lost Nation Ghosts uh, brewery up in Vermont. And also, speaking of Vermont, have a nice pack of Hetty Topper in my fridge, which Damn one you. of which I had the other night. So, uh, Happy New Year to me, uh, courtesy of a friend from Vermont who brought it down uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, so that was very nice. Um, and and I'm, we're, I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't say, like, there's three more left. I feel like you shouldn't save them for, like, special because you want to have it, like, fresh. Yeah. But it's also not something I want to just, like, burn through. So it's kind of like a weird, we're trying to f- strike that balance, which will be tricky. Yeah, that, that is always tough with, with uh, IPAs. I, uh, I find I end up just burning through them. And, like, no, I'm not, like, just pounding them for the sake of, like, getting drunk. That's not going to happen. But, yeah, I usually, no. just end up, I usually just have them skip everything else in line since I do have an extensive, usually, beer fridge list that I'm kind of prioritizing because I don't want to stack up a certain style at the end. Or, that makes sense. Yeah, or create the issue I have right now where everything in there is, like, a 15% plus, like, bourbon barrel aid something. Yeah, it's also just like I don't have access to it all the time, so it's just like, do I want to have this tonight, or do I want to wait till like the weekend, or right. or wait for watching a game, or what? So we'll we'll figure that. It's it's not a it's not a big problem. <laughs> we I think I will survive uh, figuring out when to drink my heady topper. Indeed, indeed. Um, all right, on my end, what have I had? Uh, I was in North Carolina, so I had a bunch of different things. Uh, had uh, Foothills Hoppium. Uh, it's their always yeah. always available IPA. I didn't have any jade. Uh, I don't know if jade Ooh. was just not in season, but uh, I didn't have any of that. I did have some uh, Edmund Fitzgerald from Great Lakes Brewing. Uh, it's a really good uh, porter from them. I actually had it from a year ago, and I had had it at my parents' house, and they never drank it. So got to revisit that. Also sent them a bottle of Black Tuesday that I had uh, for us all to share on Christmas. That was excellent, as always. Had a uh, duck rabbit milk stout, another local option. Had a pernicious IPA uh, from Wicked Weed, and I think uh, actually one of the most underrated IPAs on the market, um, in my opinion. Had a bunch of other Wicked Weed things. Had Oblivion. It's a Flanders, but it was really well, nice, and balanced. Had a Wicked Weed Genesis. I had Silencio, all sours from them. Of course, I had to have some Westbrook Goza. It's my favorite Goza. Available. It's so good. Just the best. 
And like the fact is down there, it's just like so readily available at any like bottle shop. I'm going to be a bit down there a, b- a bunch in the next couple of months. I'm going down for in February to visit friends. And then I have weddings in April and May. So I'm going to load up on as much Westbrook as I can. Where at all in the RDU area? Or? What, no, well, I'll be in the Columbia and then I'll be in Charleston and then I'll be in Charlotte. Ah. If you're, Slash you're, Winston-Salem. Ah. So. When you're in Charlotte, go to, go either go to or at least try to find uh, Fontaflora's beers. They're all uh, like wild ales and things like that. Ooh, yeah, I'll, I will definitely keep, uh, keep an eye out. It's for a wedding, so I don't know how much like time in actual Charlotte we'll get to because it's like a little outside, but uh, hopefully. <laughs> I will give it a shot. Fair enough. Uh, what else did I have? Grab a six-pack of Sweetwater IPA because I was just trying to get through a... Uh, a party that my parents were at and I felt that I really didn't I think that they were having what the hell were they making like Tom Collins and like hot toddies and I didn't want any part of that I don't really drink like sugary crap or anything so I uh, I'm not a big mixed drink fan except for uh, you know a gin and diet tonic so uh, I, went, I went with beer instead so I had the Sweetwater IPA I also had I don't know if you've ever had it uh, full steam down in North Carolina they're a Southern Basil Saison. Yep. Very, very I don't good. know that I've had that. Yeah. Southern Basil. Is it Basil Flight? Like- yes. But like, Interesting. just subtle enough, and like, it works well with the Saison. Like, I don't know another beer style it would really pair well with. Maybe a dope, maybe a sour or a dose of it. I'm not sure. It depends. Like, Basil is kind of like aggressive if you use too much of it in anything. So, right. I think they just have to hit the, the balance right. And they definitely did. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Uh, what else did I have? Uh, then on the way out of town, I had, uh, from Wicked Weed, Labonte with Pear. Uh, I had Hop Cocoa from them. And then when I got back, uh, Beachwood started doing six packs of their uh, cream ale foam top. So had some of that. And then had an amalgamator on New Year's Eve. And now I'm saving all my drinking for my birthday's next week, but doing some birthday drinking down in Anaheim on Saturday doing a brewery tarot, their, uh, their sour beer facility, and then doing Bottle Logic and Noble. So I'll be, ha- I'll be sharing plenty uh, come next week. Very nice. Indeed, indeed. Um, okay. So I feel like we talked enough about Syracuse here. That was probably far past the usual quota, let's be honest. More than we thought we would, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, like, spoke... When we spoke earlier, like, in the week about what we were going to talk about, I didn't even know that Syracuse is on the agenda. Like, I, th- I figured we'd mention what happened tonight, but didn't expect to win by 15. No. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitively off the agenda. <laughs> we're like, go, and Syracuse did a thing. Syracuse did a thing. It was bad. But, yeah, no, they did a thing that was good. That was great. Um, so, I think first, let's just talk about the, uh, the semifinal games. Um, they were bad. And, Meh. And, and that's the problem that I'm noticing, um, and I think other, other people have noticed too. Um, them being on New Year's Eve doesn't really help, but uh, five of the six semifinal games have been crap since the playoffs started, and that's not really yeah. like a that's not really like a thing we should be thrilled about long term, especially like for you know you and me and a lot of other people who are in the just do four, what's the big deal crowd. Um, yeah, these games have been bad. That said, a lot of the BCS title games were also bad. I, 
also it's way too small of a sample size to just say like the playoff is making bad teams. That just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, I think. Yeah, it's just it's just been a weird like it's been a weird thing. There've been some like weird matchups. Um, the the one good game in the semifinals ever has been uh, Ohio State Alabama, which honestly it was like a fun game, but like Ohio State controlled that game the whole time. It wasn't like Alabama was like all that close to beating them. Um, the only but it was Alabama. Right, it wasn't that close. It was exciting because Alabama lost unexpectedly, and Ohio State came out of nowhere to do it with a backup quarterback. Um, but yeah, it wasn't even like that. Wasn't even like a, a thriller. It wasn't like the Rose Bowl the other night, which was oh, oh well, so good. We're gonna get to that. I think that, yeah, the issue is with these matchups is that they, they they've either been a with Bama, always a problem, or or b the matchup has been the other team's kryptonite. I mean, look at Florida State, Oregon, case in point. Like yep. Florida State hung out on them by the skin of its teeth that entire season, um, and then they faced a team that was just built for speed and could run them right off the field. They did, um, you know, especially the fact that Oregon really didn't have to travel. I mean, they had to travel, but they didn't have to travel nearly as far as Florida State did. Um, they had basically what was a home crowd. Uh, FSU traveled well, but not well enough to outnumber the, the amount of ducks that were there. Um, I was there. So can attest firsthand uh, what that game was like. Um, I, you know, you look at a lot of these other games. I mean, Bama obviously being a factor. Michigan State, there's no way that was happening. Same thing. There's the talent gap um, between you know your Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, um, and you know these quote unquote interlopers here. Um, and you know, teaser. I have an article going up about that tomorrow um, over on the comeback, kind of talking about just the talent disparity. Um, and, and how these these teams, um, you know, like your Oregon's and Michigan State's and Washington's of the world. I mean, you're, you're this is pretty much what the playoff is doing is it's 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 tearing out the college football world further, and it's really showing kind of this the, the class system of here are your elite recruiters. That's going to be three of the four every year. Here's that team that gets not lucky but finds a way with with an easier schedule. Um, or, 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 yeah, sometimes luck just to, to get on through, and they'll be, usually be your four seed and have the misfortune of facing Bama. Um, and, then, and then here's your, your group of five champ, and then here's everybody else. And I, I feel like, you know, uh, we had that con- there was a conversation last week from, you know, group of five commissioners about uh, maybe having their own miniature playoff, and something I actually wrote about like a week before that conversation turned into reality. Um, I think the separation that we've all kind of been expecting between power of conferences and everybody else might happen sooner rather than later at this point. Uh, yeah, it was actually Northern uh, Illinois, Sean Fraser, who Syracuse fans will remember as a maybe candidate for the AD job, even though he denied it flatly, um, <laughs> who brought that up. And like, it's, it seems like this real, like hard divide between like, just being a realist about where the group of five is, like, even if it's still FBS, it's not the same, like, they're not in the same level as uh, the the power of five, um, and a top, it seems like a, a good chunk of them realize that and are cool, I'm not cool with that, but, like, acknowledge it and want to kind of do the best of what they can, um, and then it seems like people like Mike Oresto from the uh, AAC are like, no, we're going to compete with everyone else, like, well, you're not, though, like, like you can say that, and you know, if Houston run the table this year, if Houston run the table this year, Houston probably would have gotten in. 
But Houston's um, also the only team talented the enough is, to have a chance to run the table with that schedule. Nobody else would be able. Nobody else in the group of five would be able to stack themselves up against two power conference opponents and and have any shot in hell of beating both of them. And they lost three times. <laughs> so against they're the not power conference opponents. So like even even a team like Houston, which had really good top end talent and really good coaching. Didn't have like it might have had Oliver, who's a monster and was one of the best players in college football this year, uh, which is scary because he's a freshman. Uh, and Tom Herman got him at Houston, um, but they don't have you know Alabama has like sits out at Oliver's like they have you know a, a half their defense is of that caliber and they has, have that depth. Like Houston, you could have, have like a game breaker like that, and we saw him against Louisville. He ate their lineup and just like spit them out. But so did LSU, and it won't wasn't just a one guy, it was just of everyone. Um, well, right. So there's isn't that depth where, you know, if, if a couple guys have a bad game, you're going to overcome it because you just have overwhelming talent at Houston. You might be able to get up for the Oklahoma game and win, but you're not going to be able to get up for every single American game and run the table, and then, you know, it's just it just didn't work, work out. And I don't know, that was probably the best shot that the five had going forward, I think. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Boise State will rise back up and prove us wrong. And there are years where Boise State, like, was one of the top four teams in the BCS, but it wasn't, like, all the time. It was, like, once. Right. And their recruiting never really... It never got above the 40th-ish range. I mean, Houston's kind of right in that. And you brought up a good point, too, with Louisville that, that goes back to the point I was making earlier about even within the Power Five, even within the best schools, there's still a tiered system. Like, you look at just the talent that LSU has and the talent that Louisville has. Louisville was able to do a lot of damage to good teams, but they also lost a bunch of times to not as great teams, and they also got smoked by a much more talented team than LSU, like in LSU. Um, so I, I think you know over the course of the season, this isn't an indictment on Louisville or their program or recruiting. It's just pointing out that there's still a very large talent gap between what Louisville's doing and, and, and their rising program and what other programs have done over the course of the last, you know, two to five to seven years um, and established themselves as recruiting powers and much more talented teams. I mean, Louisville did, in essence, burn out over the course of this season. Um, and similarly to, Louis, to Houston, I mean, which is interesting to see the parallels with those two programs. But I think Houston is kind of Louisville light in, in some ways, mimicking a lot of the things that Louisville did over the course of the last 20 years to get to where they are now, and they still have a ways to go. Houston, on the other hand, kind of tried to, you know, do it all in, in, in a five-year stretch, and I feel like that's where they have suffered from some burnout as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just there aren't very many teams that can sustain uh, the amount of talent and the much of t- uh, in light of the turnover that you have naturally in college football. Alabama, they've had, what, seven straight number one recruiting classes? Like, right. they can do it because... They have a team like, where even if you miss on a recruit or five, like you have twenty that are really good, and they put in however many guys in the NFL. Ohio State is almost there, but even them, we 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 saw their problems very glaringly this weekend. But they're recruiting a similar level, and they're not quite where Alabama is. And then you have you know Florida State's around there, LSU's around there, USC is around there, but Alabama's so far out ahead that they're like they basically deserve their own tier, honestly. And then it's that group of, like, Ohio State, USC, LSU, um, some years all Miss, but I don't know if that'll last, considering everything that they're about to go through. That's okay. Um, I think Clemson will probably keep on climbing. As long as Dabo's there. Clemson's now proven that they are. 
as long as Dabo's there, which I think is as long as Saban's in Alabama. Agreed. Um, as much as like there are reports that you know Dabo's happy with his own kingdom or whatever, I think that was the word someone used. I think it's very hard. And this, we're going way off track, but I think it's very hard to believe that if Saban retires in five years, that Dabo won't go to his alma mater. Um, but you know, if he doesn't, more power to him. But, like, they're a rising power, clearly, but it's they don't recruit nearly at the same level as Alabama. They're where they are this year because they have a standout quarterback, and they have a very established system and a lot of veterans. Um, I guess, but, you know, Alabama still has more, and it's because they have so many just ultra-talents every year that guys aren't being thrust into playing as true freshmen unless they're unbelievable. Uh, they happen to have one at quarterback, but... The, the whole program is just uh, such a machine that it's it's hard for anyone to realistically uh, compete, and it's the divide's getting bigger. Like Alabama hasn't lost this year. Like last year, you know they've gotten surprised a couple times along the way, um, and they had like the weird Oklahoma game in the bowl a couple years ago. Now, like they're just such a they just roll so so hard through everything, and they have such talent, especially on defense, that they're they're getting they're they're outpacing people by more every year, which is insane and terrifying. Oh, I hate it. I, I hate it. I hate it so. I mean, I'm still rooting for them against Clemson because, obviously. But at the same time, like, I really just hate this whole Alabama thing. Because, like, it, it, it's not like any other program. Like, even Ohio State, even Florida, even LSU, like, they can't replicate this. And, and you know, they talked about it in Shutdown Podcast, like, a couple weeks ago. But, like, th- this, is not, this is not replicable. It doesn't matter how many you know, saving assistant you hire, doesn't matter. Like, this isn't something that you can take and put somewhere else. This is saving at Alabama. It, it's a perfect storm of what can and will happen when, you know, you put a ridiculous personality and who, who understands how to run not just any organization, but this organization um, to its optimum capacity. Um, this, again, would not work anywhere else. Um, and I think that, as much as I hate seeing Alabama dominate like this, that needs to be appreciated for what it is that that Saban and Alabama are a match made in, in heaven for them, but hell for everybody else, because th- th- this is a death machine that college football has never and will never see again. Yeah, and I don't know, like, whether it's good or bad for the sport or what. I mean, it's kind of like the UConn women's basketball to, like, a little bit of lesser degree. But um, I'd, I will say that, like, having been more focused on, like, national stuff, I've grown to appreciate, like, what Nick Saban does. And it's not like I, I love it. Like, I would, it's, I enjoy when Alabama does get knocked off. It makes things interesting. But, like, I, it's impossible not to appreciate just someone finding a code in the Matrix and building what is essentially a perfect program at this point. And it's hard to think of it as anything else. Like, it's just unimpeachable. Um, same, like... I, I've um, I've grown like similar begrudging feelings about, and this isn't even he's not even at the same level, but uh, with Calipari, honestly, um, and it's it's totally different because you know where Saban's reloading on you know super senior, like it's just because of the difference between football and basketball. But seniors, like the fact that Calipari could make a competitive team virtually every year out of all freshmen is crazy to me. And you know once you get past like all the the cheating allegations and whatnot that everyone screams about, and I'm sure are at least somewhat legitimate. Um, it, it's still impressive, and it's just you know once you get by like hating the uh, programs that win all the time because they win all the time, like you do have to like at least acknowledge how crazy it is that they do the, do it the way they do, and there's no one like that like 
Saban in Alabama. Like, the, especially with, like, more and more teams trying to invest in college football, it's not like people are running away from the sport. Like, schools, aside from Idaho, schools want to be part of the FBS and are pumping resources into it. You know, they might be crying poverty later when we know that that's all false. Um, but they're all try, like, trying to jump up every year. And Alabama is just holding everyone off and gaining distance from the rest of the pack. Uh, there's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, again, I, we'll see how long this lasts. I don't really see it ending. Saban's found a way to get people to buy in and, and that's not an easy situation. You know, when you're someone in your, when you're, so you're a rich white man in your fifties and sixties trying to sell yourself to a lot of underprivileged inner city kids, many of whom are African-Americans. It, it's, it's not that, that that becomes a thing you can't overcome, but it definitely doesn't make your job any easier because you are from different worlds and, and different backgrounds. And I think Nick Saban's from a different world and background than you and I at this point. I mean, he's, he's a multi-multi-millionaire who's been a multi-multi-millionaire for years in, in, in Alabama. You and I are from the Northeast and middle-class roots and all that. I, I do think that, that he's just found he's found a common language and a common like Nick Saban would be a great politician if that makes sense because he's incredibly relatable and I'm not going to turn this into a political conversation I swear but <laughs> Nick Saban has found a way to be like kind of the, the common denominator for everybody in, in his sphere of influence and that goes for the players the boosters the, the fans uh, the alums, many of whom are, are not, you know, in the same kind of situation that the Tuscaloosa and a lot of the areas around that in Alabama are. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's somehow found the, the common ground that, that, that so few can in any profession. I think because it's because he doesn't come across as like a caricature. Right. Um, I think like Nick Saban, he's like grouchy, but he's not Belichick. Like he's, he just seems like he is who he is, like, but not playing up to whatever people say about him and he just he just wins and that's at the end of the day like that is what is most important and it does seem like he's probably pretty ruthlessly ruthlessly honest with people and uh when you have what four five national championships under your belt like you can do that um so yeah i i eventually he'll you know i don't know if he'll lose his touch or he'll just get disinterested to the nfl or whatever um something something whether it's time or uh, another force will cause the end of the Nick Saban Alabama regime. Um, but as long as he's there, it's just hard to see this thing stop, you know, stop rolling because it's just been, even the years he hasn't won, like it's been like a couple minor flaws. And if, in another, you know, another one of the alternate universes, like Alabama very easily could have won that year. Like It's not like there's been a year where Alabama's taken a step back. The first year he was there, they weren't great. They went what? Like, I think they went seven and six or something. I think they actually went like eight and six. I think they had a Hawaii plus one game or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then since then, they've just been uh, the national champion or a strong contender to win the national championship and something bad happened once. <laughs> it just, there haven't been, I think they had one year uh, where they lost like uh, a couple games yeah. and were out of it. And they went to like, I think there was one like random year in the mid-2000s, but I could be, I don't even remember. Like, it's crazy that every single year they are, pretty much in the conversation for the title most of the year. And they've been in the playoff every year since we've had that. So even like one bad loss to Ohio State, but then they go back the next year and they win it. And this year, I mean, 
Clemson probably is the best shot of anyone, but I I don't feel comfortable saying that Clemson's going to win that game at all. Because nope, Clemson lost to Pitt. Clemson did lose to Pitt, yes. <laughs> That's the thing that happened. And they almost lost NC State. And these are, again, these are things that Alabama would not do. Yeah, and I will say that Clemson looked like, I mean, the fact they beat Ohio State by, what, 31 oh, they, they, the other I, night? I, I, don't, I mean, I'm already seeing the hate mail in my inbox. Clemson dismantled Ohio State. Dabo Clemson's out- a very high ceiling, yeah. for sure. High ceiling, Dabo completely outgamed Urban Meyer, which is not an easy thing to do, but Dabo's done it twice now. Um, Brent Venables put together again, and it's funny because I saw conversations going on about why Venables hadn't left, something that you and I were talking about a couple months ago, and that is he's waiting for, for, Bill, for Bill Snyder to, to leave over at uh, Kansas State. But like what Venables has been able to do, I mean, what, yesterday was... Yesterday or today was like the, what was it, five-year anniversary of that, like, disaster of an Orange Bowl. <laughs> like, Venables showed up after that. What he's done since then is turned Clemson's defense into this, like, kind of the, like, you know, gold standard non-Alabama division for what a defense can do to an opponent. Yeah, I mean, he's just been so good. And Clemson, like, I don't know, I, I don't expect it to be as close as last year's game where Clemson outplayed Alabama like honestly and probably should have won um, I think Alabama's better I think this is the best Alabama team under Dick Saban which is horrifying it might be and they're not like they're not perfect like that offense could be better um, but that defense is so good like, nobody, <laughs> um, nobody was really close to the, like that's a terrifying like nobody's really close to this team this year like Ole Miss is the only one that like even had a shot and that's because Ole Miss has like if anyone has, if anyone's like the rock to Alabama scissors, it's Ole Miss for whatever reason, and Alabama still beat them. Like Chad Kelly is like just has that that just enough Johnny Manziel in him where he's just provides a, a major issue for Alabama, uh, and they still fell short, and then their season fell apart. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not great to think about, especially like and Alabama will lose a lot on defense this year to the NFL draft, but. And you have Jalen Hurts coming back, and you have Bo Starborough coming back, and you have uh, Najee Harris coming to the team, and you have uh, everything else. Like it's, and you assume Stark will be roughly as good as Kiffin has been. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to overcome. Damn it, Bama. Okay, so one other thing that I wanted to backtrack on because you said earlier I didn't read that Frazier was the one who put that forward for uh, for NIU. Yes, he was the one who was like, he seems to be the most outspoken person uh, in favor of the G5 playoff. You know, it's funny. There is one AD in college who follows me. And you know who that is AD it, is? Is it Sean Frazier? It is Sean Frazier. That's pretty funny. Could you imagine if I'm the one who created the G5 playoff? Take that, Larry Culpepper, you hack. I mean, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> He did spur USC to making and winning the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah. We said we were going to talk about that. Let's, let, let's end the podcast <laughs> with that. So, I don't know if this is a, is this a mea culpa or is this a, no, like, this you're welcome, USC. Yeah. <laughs> to, let, let's take a trip in the Wayback Machine to late September. Um, we were already imagining how and when Clay Helton would get fired on a tarmac. And USC <laughs> was one and three. <laughs> and we USC was one and three. And we literally went game by game on their schedule, I think. And, and like... Yeah. <laughs> and the I don't know if you... Like, we're paid to talk about college sports. Like, 
And, and, we, and we said that USC was going to go 3-9. and nine. I think I might have said, you know, they might find a way to, like, five wins. Um, if you guys haven't been keeping track, USC uh, did not lose after whatever we put that podcast out. They ran the table, beat Washington, um, won the uh, – well, they didn't win the Pac-12 as Washington did, but they beat Washington handily. And then they won just a, an unbelievable Rose Bowl game uh, between two teams that most people listening to this and reporting this don't really want to root for. But, like, that was one of those games where, like, you don't even care. It was just so I'll, good. I'll, I'll root for fun USC any day. Like, as, as, a, as a young college football fan in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, after I was done watching Syracuse, like, my, my, I was riding with the Trojans, like, hard. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, have, I really don't inherently have anything wrong with USC. I, like... No, my in-laws do just, because they're UCLA fans. But and, Right. <laughs> um, Penn State, I could never see one again. And I will That's still, true. like, enjoy, quietly enjoy watching Trace McSorley throw bombs and Saquon Barkley does what, do what Saquon Barkley does. Um, but I will take how things turned out because, holy crap, that game was awesome. That final throw that Darnold made was... He's so good. Like, I mean, and even Herb Street was saying during the broadcast, like, how, how in God's name do you put that ball where he put it? Because... They showed the field cam from about where Darnold would have been. There's no goddamn way that, that you thread that needle and know that, that that ball is getting to where it needs to go. Impossible. Yeah, especially after avoiding the rush the way he did. Like he's, he, he maneuvers the pocket so well. He throws just an absolutely gorgeous football. Um, he's just impressive. Like He's just an impressive quarterback to watch. He made some awesome throws. Um he wasn't, like, throwing, like, these ridiculous, like, Aaron Rodgers bombs or anything, but he just, in terms of, like, makeable college throws, hitting, you know, out routes on the sideline, putting things right when they need to be, um, just really impressive. Uh, so, I mean, I've seen him play, you know, a number of games now, but um, it's really, it's so much fun to watch a quarterback deal like that, and I cannot wait to see him next year, especially because, like, you see USC will lose a bunch of talent this year, too, but they're one of those teams that, you know, not to an Alabama level. They'll be number two. Oh, yeah, people will not be able to wait to vote for them to be number, like, two or three in, in the polls. Like, you do not have to pull anyone's uh, anyone's arm to, to vote USC, probably even a little higher than they should be. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy in right now my top five. I, I don't even need the, the, the national championship game. Bama, USC, probably Penn State, Florida State, yeah. and Michigan. Um, Alabama, obviously... Um, I'll, USC will definitely be in there. I'm buying Penn State because they bring back so much. I think Ohio State will be in the mix because Barrett's back, and they they're really like they were the youngest team in the country this year. Um, fifth, uh, I don't know who else did you have in there. Florida State. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I can see that. I think Clemson will be a take a step back. The schedule is always there for Florida State. Like I mean, and that's why like. Those you know, no, you know, we're missing Oklahoma. Is Baker Mayfield coming back, or is he done? Yep. Oh. No, he announced it like a month ago. Oh, He's coming back. Interesting. Yeah, I could see Oklahoma. Um, I think Texas is probably going to be a top ten team to start the season. Uh, I think that. Oh, I, I don't think they will be. I, I mean, think I they'll I be talented. I don't. I mean, I don't think that they should be. I think they. I think they'll be knocking on the door. I think they'll be hanging somewhere around like ten, eleven, just because everyone's like you know, drunk on Tom Herman and goes, think about what this team could have done if Charlie Strong actually gave a shit the second half of the season. And so, yeah, I mean, you know how it goes. Texas is like, 
I mean, Texas is for the most part like you know one B in term like after USC in terms of how can we irrationally overrate this team going into the season that no matter what happens we'll still be pissed off. Yeah, I, I don't buy that they'll be that highly ranked initially, but I think the the minute they win a big game, people will draw nuts. Like they did this year. Um, they beat Notre Dame, and that <laughs> oh, was a really man. fun game between Joe two Tess, powers. Joe Tess, why did you do that? <laughs> Texas is back. That game was so much more fun than we thought Like Notre Dame was going to be good. I had Notre Dame in my playoff entering the year. No. Um, I really killed it. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize. <laughs> I'm sure I'm to find my college football playoff uh, while we're running down here. Uh, if I can find my preseason prediction, I think mine was uh, mine was Bama, Michigan, Florida State, and was it Stanford? It's always Stanford. <laughs> uh, um, I know Notre Dame was in there, and I know Alabama was in there, and. I think I actually had Alabama Clemson, uh, which wasn't like the hottest take until you realize that like a rematch had never happened in the entirety of you know the world of college football uh, championship games happening, which isn't that long. It goes back to like ninety two. Yeah. But um, we've been alive for it all. But well, true. But it's still <laughs> weird that it's never happened, and it's only happened in basketball once in the entire in the history of NCAA tournament. Well, it was Cincinnati, nature, Ohio State. It's the nature of the sport. I mean, you're just you're replacing at least usually at least a quarter of your roster every year. It's not like the place yeah. where you can return. You can just bring back everybody with playoff experience. That's true. That was fun. All right. I think that was a... Uh, this has been a fun podcast, Dan. I think it, you know, look how much better things are after a win. Yes, we hopefully we get to uh, do uh, some more of these, these post-win podcast things. Yeah, these are fun. I forgot, I forgot what these were like. Literally, probably our first positive podcast in like a month and a half. Yeah, because when you think especially because we missed a bunch of weeks just of stupid stuff. Yeah, we missed a bunch of weeks of technical difficulties. Um, we're not ones to really get like super riled up about like BS non-conference wins against bad teams. Uh, so yeah, we really haven't been this happy since like the Virginia Tech game in football, which is that's been a while. Yes. Ugh. Good to be back. Good to positivity. Be back. <laughs> Twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. It, ignoring the BC thing. Ignoring the BC <laughs> thing and a bunch of other things not related to Syracuse sports. Yes. Anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, you've been listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. If you listen to us on another service, rate, review, and subscribe there too. And uh, Dan, thanks for joining. Much appreciated as always. Yes, happy to be here. Happy to be here talking about a win. Hopefully we will have at least another win to talk about next week. Indeed, indeed, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. 
From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.